Sonocene Studios. Hello and welcome to episode one of Low Culture, a podcast from Monocene Studios. I'm your host Imran, and in season one, I'll be joined by my friends Daniel, Jester, and Kim. We'll be discussing our favorite movies from our childhood. Episode one, Jurassic Park. Welcome to episode one of Low Culture, which is a discussion-based podcast about all things low culture, movies, TV shows, games, uh, books, whatever, right? Things that are not high culture, essentially. What's high culture? High culture is usually referred to things that are more expensive. So generally speaking, I think things like opera and, you know, theater tend to be, Ooh. you know. So what's the price tag? Like, what's the minimum price tag? Is it like 30 bucks? Is that is I, that the thing? I don't know what the cutoff is, but like things like art, you know, like I don't know why things that you can pirate. Things that you can pirate are low culture. Yes, let's put it that way. <laughs> things that you can pirate easily are low culture. Things made for the masses. Popular mm. culture is low culture. The things you can brag about when you come home and you say, "Hey, I've seen this show. It was so uh, fancy." No, that's that's that's, that's art high house culture. cinema. Is that high culture or low culture? I think art house cinema is low culture trying to be high culture. Is there high culture trying to be low culture? Uh, I think it's like there is an opera for the beggars. I don't know Hamilton or something. Ah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so musicals. Maybe they're trying to reach a mass audience. Ooh, but ooh, ooh, yeah, we should, we should review musicals. I have opinions about musicals. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's like in general because I find them quite manipulative. In general, I, I I haven't watched I haven't watched a single musical that I like. Oh, oh I like you already. Wow, wow. You're a good man. Including improvised music musicals? Whoa, 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 whoa. I played whoa, the whoa, fifth. Whoa. <laughs> what do you think this is, America? <laughs> there's no fifth here. There's no fourth, third, or second, or first. There's nothing you can play. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, so for season one, we're looking at uh, what I've classified curated? as favorite okay. movies of our childhood. And I realized I didn't ask you any of these recommendations so i don't know if they're our childhood or maybe just mine but essentially they're movies that i remember watching as a kid and i really enjoyed right basically um, you went oh i i'm going to assume that everyone's childhood was like mine and we're, we're all around the same age that's Imran. why i mean that's why you were invited because we're all around the same age that's there's no other reason none of you are gen z and uh, that's and that's we're, the reason we're why we're here millennials yes some geriatric of us are millennials. geriatric yes that's, that's that's the unfortunate term. What a shit term, really. <laughs> Holy Let's, fuck! I think I, I realized I might be the youngest one here. I haven't. That hasn't happened to me in a very long time. <laughs> well, congratulations. We're here to make you feel good. Finally. So today's episode is about Jurassic Park, and I want to start off the discussion with just a very simple question: Is, is Jurassic Park a family movie? Yeah. I. What What is family? Like, because if it's kid-friendly, it's quite kid-friendly. I, I realized now as I was watching this that the death toll was actually really small. And there wasn't any blood at any point in the movie. At all, it was right? a severed um, hand, though. Oh, no, you're yeah. right. There was one severed hand. But it was also a prop. It was very obviously a prop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, that the guy dies horribly entirely off screen. Like, we, it's only hinted that he dies until his hand appears. Yeah. Poor, poor Samuel Jackson. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> like, snakes on the plane guy, right? But this is like, I guess he was an early emerging actor. 
or something. Yeah. So I, I want to get into like Samuel L. Jackson in a little bit later, but let's just have so a quick. So did the raptor? The raptor totally yes, got into a, him. Let's have a quick. <laughs> Wikipedia readout of what Jurassic Park is, just so that we can remind everyone. Yeah, Jurassic Park is a 1993 American science fiction action film. You've noticed they didn't use the word family in the description. Directed by Steven Spielberg and produced by no one cares. Uh, it's the first installment of the Jurassic Park franchise, which I don't know if it was really a franchise from the launch. I don't think it was, but anyway, it is now. And the first film of the Jurassic Park trilogy and is based on the 1990 novel of the same name by Michael Crichton. The film is set on the fictional island of Isla Nublar, located off Central America's Pacific coast uh, near Costa Rica. There, wealthy businessman John Hammond and a team of genetic scientists have created a wildlife park of de-extinct dinosaurs, which is a phrase I've never heard before, de-extinct. Uh, when industrial sabotage leads to a catastrophic shutdown of the park's power facilities and security precautions, a small group of visitors and Hammond's grandchildren struggle to survive and escape the perilous island. Jurassic Park at the time was made on a budget of $63 million. So just keep that in mind that a big budget movie in 1993 was $63 million. And as of today, I believe, or as of late, it has made over a billion dollars. So that is an amazing return on investment. It was also, just for funsies, uh, nominated for three Academy Awards and won all three. So 100% straight. Yeah, it was nominated and won for, I lost, I lost, uh, oh yeah, it's the best sound effects editing, best sound and best visual effects. So the technical awards, which are not quite as sexy, but still important, I think. Don't you agree, Lefteris? Um, of course, most definitely. I think while watching this yesterday with Elodie, I made a comment about that was a 1993 movie with surprisingly good graphic effects, right? Like the dinosaurs are looking great and then i realized that star wars episode 2 attack of the clones came way later after that and it looks horrible <laughs> so i was trying to figure out in my head like what the hell happened between that movie and that movie but aren't they both industrial light and magic aren't they both the same yeah. uh, well well who knows i want to start us off with a question which I think since this is supposed to be movies of our childhood. Do you remember the first time you watched this movie? And since Daniel hasn't said anything since we started, I'd like to, I'd like to bring him in at this point. I don't remember when I watched this movie first. Must have been in France. Must have been in my childhood. Must have been in French as well. Oh. Uh, so with terrible <laughs> dubbing, Jurassic I'm sure. Park. The Le Parc Jurassic. No, it was actually translated into Jurassic Park, I believe. I don't remember much about when I first saw it, but I definitely remember that I definitely remember some scenes for long. And we will come we to can, that. Yeah. We'll come to that. Yes. Hold on. Hold on to that. That's a good point. So the strange thing is, I also don't remember when was the first time I saw this movie. I don't have a memory of that. The memory I do have is of me being, being a kid in Dubai and being in the Sony store, because, you know, Sony was the big electronics giant then, because it, they always ran Jurassic Park on all the TVs there for some reason, like at that, oh. during that period. And that's, <laughs> I remember watching bits of Jurassic Park at the Sony store in Dubai. That's my memory of, my earliest memory of Jurassic Park, watching it at least, yeah. I mean, that makes sense, right? The graphics were really good for the time. And if you are in a TV store, they want you to look at the graphics and hey, look, yeah, the exactly. TV looks great. My memory is a little bit different. I remember the exact theater and that my, my dad went with me and my brother to watch it and we missed the first five minutes. So actually the whole first 
five minutes where the guy falls and whatnot. That was new to me. I didn't realize there was an earlier scene. <laughs> Just like where he falls, he gets eaten, right? So I think I was aware there was an earlier scene because I had a sticker book and there were stickers that showed that. I was like, I don't remember this part. And I didn't know what happened at all. Like, I think it's in the book, but it happens a bit differently. And then I don't remember a lot of the rest. I remember how it happened. Uh, I remember Maldun and whatnot, but uh, specific scenes, but um, some parts were surprising to me as well, like how stupid the kids were. Wait, you had read the book before? No, later. I read the book later. And so there was a bit of... um, Some people died differently in the book. And that's the only difference. (laughs) I mean, there were a few others. The book is... Crichton isn't really a Crichton, Michael. He's not an enthralling writer. He's He does a lot of research. It's very clear. Oh, what about you? It's a compliment. Uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember that it was, they were showing the movie in like a prime time in the Greek television. And I was supposed to be asleep. But I was like sneaking like my head from my bedroom door to like watch the movie. They watched it like I don't know, like uh, in middle of the week. I had it was a school night, so I had to be in bed by like eight or eight thirty, and the movie started at nine. So, <laughs> uh, but then I remember afterwards, like when I was like slightly older, they they played the movies in the weekends, so I watched it with my parents and things like that. It was nice. That's cool. That's cool. I, I don't I, know. I had, I had nightmares I... about a couple of scenes, but yeah. Okay, that's great. So let's let's talk about that. What what are your favorite scenes or favorite parts of the movie? Uh, and you said you have nightmares. Which which scenes do you have nightmares? I mean, I don't know if that's your favorite. But tell us about it. Yeah. <laughs> so my I have like two favorite scenes. One that gave me nightmares when I was a kid. The the place where the fat man dies. I'm sorry. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm very bad with the names. Mm-hmm. Dennis mm-hmm. Nedry, right? Yeah, that the, yeah, yeah, the dinosaur that threw venom on his face, mm. and then when he closed the door, and the dinosaur is in the do- in the car with him. <laughs> that scared the shit out of me as a kid. I feel you, man. <laughs> and, and, and like when I rewatched it yesterday, I was like, "Oh, it's coming! I know it's coming." <laughs> uh, very cathartic scene, but also you're like, "Oh, yeah. what happened to those embryos?" And oh my god, he's trapped in that car with a horrible chicken. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one. The other one is one that I came to like later when I was older and I could understand more about movies. Uh, the scene where the girl. After the first attack from the T-Rex, uh, where the driver, uh, with the, the guy who was with the kids in the car, the lawyer, the T-Rex and, and flees, yeah, he yeah. flees. Mm-hmm. And then when later Sam Neill is with the girl and he's he's trying to go grab the the boy from the tree, mm. she she's she's yelling, "He left us! He left us! He left us!" And then he turns to her so calm and serious. And says like, "I am not gonna leave you." But that's not what I'm gonna do. That was that was a great scene, especially considering that we have established earlier that he does not like kids. They focus quite a bit on the fact that he like he doesn't like kids, but I did. I'm not quite sure whether that was necessarily crucial to the whole story. But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I, kinda, I don't. It's the character know development was, thing, right? If you see the whole movie based on 
Samuel and Laura Dern. Laura Dern, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you based on on th- these two people, it's like the whole movie is like a growth into parenthood for them. You can just see that as, as like that. They're like, hey, I, we don't want to be parents, but we kind of get to because circumstances bring us here. I, I would say even worse than that. It feels like it's it's this horrible, not horrible, but it's this 1990s type of uh, setting where, oh, the lady, of course she wants kids because she's a lady, so she wants yeah. kids. And the guy's like, I don't care about kids. I care about dinosaurs. And then like, <laughs> oh, actually, he's such, a good, he's such a good provider. He can take care of kids. And in face of adversity, he will save them. So that validates to her that actually he's the right man. I, I really didn't like that. Like the, the whole, this whole entire setup that was just, bah. I mean, what's so wrong with kids? Oh, Ellie, look, they're noisy, they're messy, they're expensive. I, I, I don't think it was necessary at all. I, I mean, they I, made I, a lot of uh, choices that related to that, right? Where instead of um, stuff that Michael Crichton wrote in his novel, he would give them like uh, characteristics or kill off characters where they didn't need to die. Like Muldoon dies because it's dramatic. Someone needs to die and he's competent and he ups attention. The Alan Grant, the, 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 the children-hating character in the film, they didn't care about children one way or the other in the books. A lot of this is creative. Like, let's make things more dramatic things, choices. Uh, Daniel, what was your favorite part of the movie then, if that's one of the things you didn't like? So that scene where the T-Rex comes and you have the water like just trembling in the glass i really remember that scene i remember it being super scary and watching it again it wasn't that scary it wasn't that scary i don't know maybe because i knew what was coming but it's still it's still it's still one of the best scenes in a way it's not scary but just the way it's done the tension that's building it's it's one of the my favorite scenes for sure because uh, that's where you you know that things are going to go downhill from there, and that's that's what you want to see in a way. That's what you've been waiting for. So I really enjoy that scene. Yeah, they got the idea for that scene because they were. I think I don't know if it was Spielberg or somebody else were listening to uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire in a car, and ah. the bass was moving was moving the water in the car. So somebody had the idea to actually have the. Uh, the T-Rex move the earth so much that I can have that shot. Wow, Jester contributing uh, trivia to the to the show. Wow, thanks, yeah. thanks, Jester. Yeah, <laughs> music trivia, yay! <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do agree. I feel like that is probably my favorite scene in the movie as well because it's so iconic, right? And I think like a lot of other movies have sort of I wouldn't I don't want to say ripped the, ripped it off, but have taken sort of have paid homage to it in some way, and it's. They just show the water rippling in a glass and it's so terrifying, right? Like, you know what's, I mean, of course, I was watching it and I, I knew what was going to happen, but it's so effective. You don't have to show the dinosaur up front. You just, you show that first and you just build that suspense. And I feel like there's a lot of that in the movie where uh, even the point where Dennis Nedry's, he dies, uh, they don't show the, whatever dinosaur that was, they don't show it up front at the beginning. They just show it. First, you see it like running across the screen. Then you see its head across the around the tree, and then you only then you see it like up close and personal. And I think they did that really, really well. But the other scene that I really like is the is right at the beginning where they see the dinosaurs for the first time, right? And the the absolute shock that was on their face, and the the music just adds so much to that scene. <laughs> oh my god, it makes it. And you suddenly pan out to this massive. The first thing is they they show the first. Uh, 
brachiosaurus or whatever and it's from they show it like it's it's so big it doesn't even fit in the in the frame right and then they pan out to show the the fields and the herds of dinosaurs on it. it's just so majestic yeah like uh, they've shot it like a wildlife documentary which i thought was a very interesting choice I thought oh, so the music was quite interesting for me, right? So um, as a kid, actually that was my main interaction with uh, the film because it was one of the first like tapes or albums that I owned. And that swelling music, you know, the first part where they actually fly into the island and that, that swell is how the album starts, right? The thing is, when you're watching it, you're like, this is just trees. They're <laughs> flying over some trees. Why is the music so dramatic? It's just trees. I don't understand. But yeah, I do agree. Like this, when they first see the Bacchusaurus, that the thing, I think uh, the soundtrack is just... <laughs> And, and so there's a moment you're like, you really get the majesty of how incredible it is supposed to be. Up to the point, say, you made T-Rexes and they're like, oh yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I agree because that's a, that's, the entire scene has a very, very weird ending. It's like, how would you do this? I'll show you. And that's how the scene ends. How'd you do this? You had all this massive reveal, the whole music, and then you you end it on, I'll show you. Like, why? It was such a weird ending to that scene. Like, they couldn't end it in, a, a, I think, a, a good enough way. So it kind of suddenly just, you get snapped out of the magic so suddenly. Ah. And the other part that was a little bit jarring at that moment was, I think at that moment, I was like, this guy, he sounds like David Attenborough. Okay, <laughs> let me go check it out. Yeah, it turns out it's his brother. Yeah. Yep. I was like, holy shit, he has a brother. And it sounds exactly like him. And I was like, I don't know what, I don't know how Richard himself like received this because his brother is like an actor slash director comes out of a non-acting career to do this where he's like a billionaire like animal maker compared to his brother who is you know he's made a career out of nature documentaries and it's like that's, that's a weird move to make but okay let's, let's go with that um, I think the other scene me. I really like was the uh, the Muldoon one right? you know, Clever Girl right Clever Girl uh, you know he's gonna die. He doesn't die in the books, by the by, because he's actually competent in the books. Unlike in this book, where he goes, "Yeah, they hunt in packs. They're very smart. I'm just gonna wander off into the forest alone." Ah, yeah. la, 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 la. <laughs> that makes zero like, sense. Like he knows yeah. this. So what is he doing? Is Muldoon your favorite character then? Ah, uh, yes, it is. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, up to the point where he makes an utterly stupid choice, because because he's not. I mean, there are some unsympathetic characters, right? Like Dennis Nedry is clearly meant to be unsympathetic. Although on rewatching, he seemed less, I mean, he seems like a bit of an asshole, but he also is like your general computer nerd, misunderstood, underappreciated. Uh, everyone just kind of rags on him all the time. And then he's like, yeah, well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna get some embryos. I and mean, he makes some dumb choices, but he's not completely wrong, if you know what I mean. We don't hear much about his motivation just beyond money. He seems to have some sort of a grudge that would be great if that could be explored. He just yeah. sees this bad guy who's like, I, clearly people don't treat me well, but I'm, act, act, I'm actually a piece of shit. So you, you don't really feel for him. But uh, in a way, that's, that's more of the, the type of movie that this is, where you don't yes. really explore the motivation of this sort of yeah. character. They're just bad and they look like bad guys. So you have no difficulty in, in, in spotting them. 
Yeah, yeah but pretty cardboard. They don't really focus on on him as well. Like, I think he dies halfway into the film, so it's not. That know, was a, an interesting thing that I I thought about the movie as well. That there weren't any what you would call superstars in the cast. Like there were, I guess, some moderately famous actors, and I'm I'm using that term with a lot of like as if I'm very famous, but it's not like <laughs> it was Brad Pitt and uh, you know Tom Cruise. It wasn't them. Like, may perhaps that was a conscious choice so that. The focus would always be on the dinosaurs. I think they uh-huh. tried to cast Harrison Ford in oh. the uh, position of uh, Sam Neill, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> he oh, was too busy sense. counting counting money. He would have been in the three franchises: it is Star yeah. Wars, Indiana Jones, <laughs> and Jurassic, and Jurassic Park. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I guess you can count Blade Runner as a franchise, but uh, yeah. Uh, like, so what, to be what, honest, like, were they not famous? Like, I don't. Some of them went on to be very famous, right? Like Laura Dern's pretty well known these days. Yeah. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson clearly, uh, he is he's a superstar. But so it was very weird for me to see Samuel L. Jackson in a movie and not get top billing, and be like really sober in the throughout the, the yeah. whole movie. He keeps saying it could have been much worse, John. Could have been yeah. much worse. I'm like, really? <laughs> it could have been worse, John. A lot worse. That is not the Samuel L. Jackson we know uh, today. No. <laughs> no, I guess by the time Star Wars rolls around, he can choose. He's so famous, he can choose his lightsaber color. Uh, but at this point, he he gets eaten, and not even he doesn't even get the honor of being eaten on screen. On screen, yeah. He just kind of goes, "I'm going to switch the lights on," and that's his last line. <laughs> it's like they continued writing the script and they forgot that he was there in the script. They're like, "Oh, we okay, well." His arm returns <laughs> in, in a, a very slapstick manner. Yeah, like yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, Mr. Arnold. Ah, do you think it was Samuel Jackson who was behind leaving that prop there? Because he was <laughs> such a such a like a low paid actor then. So like, eh. <laughs> do this as well. It's just very hard for me to imagine Samuel Jackson like doing a role like that now. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> No, that would be so jarring, right? He does not drop a single f bomb in the whole movie. No, but but I I think because because again I saw the movie today, so it's quite fresh in my head. His first line of the movie is "Hold on to your butts." Hold on to your butts. That's how his character is introduced. And I'm like, I guess that's as far as they were willing to push the 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 profanity yeah. meter for. It's for a him. family movie. That's what we were discussing earlier, right? It's oh, a right. Family. It is a family yeah. movie. I do have my own podcast. Yay! It's called Lefteris Ask Science. I'm trying to have like a documentary style format where I talk with researchers from academia and I try to understand what they're doing. I'm being very annoying, asking them very many questions uh, when we have interviews. And then I try to boil it down into 25 to 30 minutes and uh, have a narrative style format. And I release episodes as often as I can. The plan is every two weeks, but maybe it's like more every three weeks. Lefteris Ask Science, if you follow me anywhere on or whatever you get your podcasts, comment, rate, and subscribe. It's good. So who, who who's your favorite character, Jester? Mm, I, I, I think I think I like Sam Neill's character overall. I think it's uh, I think Alan Grant uh, Kim mentioned it yesterday. I think he was right. I was 
I really wanted to like Jeff Goldblum's character, but he kind of feels useless. He kind of feels like he, if he, he was not part of the movie, you're like, meh, okay. <laughs> it wouldn't have changed anything. <laughs> exactly. No, no, and he got a few good lines, franchise. but yeah. Yeah, he has like the 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 nice line of like, uh, you spent so much time trying to do this, you never spent time to ask if you needed to do this or something like that. I'm grossly paraphrasing here. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right. But, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he does not. I, I really wanted to like Jeff Goldblum because like every time I see him play on like any future movies, he plays that character, or I think he plays himself all the fucking time. Uh, but yeah, I like I like Alan Grant. It's a it, it's a safe it's a safe choice. I understand. No, I mean we're not judging you for your choice. It's uh, if you I like, like the T Rex. The T Rex actually saves the day at the end. So oh man, I hated that moment. I was like, what a fucking <laughs> Deus Ex Machina kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. Hell. I have I have to propose that we call this a T Rex Machina moment. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The T Rex in the machine. That's and this is where I, where I come in, and I thought that Daniel's favorite character would be uh, Tim, the kid, because he has so many bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, he does. He does. He is a kid, though. He yeah, does. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Daniel doesn't seem like a kid-loving kind of guy. Yeah, it's true. So that's why I thought that he would like Tim being his favorite character because, like, how do you call him a blind dinosaur? Uh, can you see me? Can, how the fuck was it? Uh, the joke is dying. So bad. Just a, uh, just huh? a no. <laughs> you mauled the joke worse than he did. <laughs> I don't know. What do you call a blind dinosaur? Do you think he saw us? Um, oh, yeah. I, so the reason I thought that Hammond was uh, Daniel's favorite character was because he he's a billionaire, he's rich, uh, but he also gives to to things, right? He says, I think we were talking about effective altruism the other day, and I think that was my main reasoning behind it. I was like, oh, it makes <laughs> sense. I'm not sure if it's effective altruism. I mean, kind of. Yeah, he got he actually got dinosaurs to resurrect, so that's not bad. But that was uh, my main reasoning. Uh, and then I was like, the other characters, I don't know. Do any of them run? Not really. Well, the, the raptors <laughs> run, I guess. So. The raptors uh, run, yeah. Yeah, but they're more like cheetahs, right? They run very fast or very short. They don't really go very long. But then there was that weird herd of dinosaurs. And I was like, they don't really seem like a very particularly interesting character. So I thought, Hammond, makes sense. And the reason I thought Alan was your favorite character, Jester, and not Jeff Goldblum, or whatever his character's name was, I forgot yeah. the name, uh, was because, <laughs> I, I mean, he's Jeff Dr. Goldblum. Ian Malcolm. Yes, that's right. He has two first names, that kind of guy. Uh, it was because, honestly, my first thought was, ah, PhDs. Who has PhDs? And then, number two, he seems like a nice guy. Like, quite kind, generally good at his core. Like, that makes that seems like someone Jester would like score. And I was right. If, if Jeff Goldblum was a good guy as well, you would have said that I would have liked him. See, that's the thing, right? Jurassic Park would be quite a different movie if there were two good guys. So I think the characters had to be designed quite differently to create that kind of tension. I mean, Jeff Goldblum goes around going, I'm looking for the third Mrs. X Malcolm or something. And I'm just like, what a yeah. fucking douche. I'm always on the lookout for a future X Mrs. Malcolm. He's being a complete creep. I mean, he's being yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, a Me Too oh, type geez. of guy, like eating on yes. a, a, a woman in the way he does. It's, 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 I, I don't know. Thought, it's yeah. like... Oh my Speaking god! Speaking of which, I I also really like Laura Dern's character in the movie, like Doctor Ellie. Even Sattler. though Ellie Sattler, yes, 
even though she it is the 90s and movies back then were like yay like damsel in distress kind of thing she tries to put herself in danger all the time to help other people like she does not think twice where like her are they married or are they just like boyfriend and girlfriend they're not married her partner where if like her partner is like out in the world is like I'm going out there. Like he, 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 she does not think about it. So there's no yeah. real indication that they're partners, uh, in the film. Yes, they kind of like love interest, but there's not even indicated yeah. that they're together. Well, no, when, I, I, think I guess when... they they talk about having kids potentially right from the start. Yeah. So you're like, okay, they are involved in some way. But I completely agree. She she's um she's a character that is a bit more like uh. She, she's a bit she's badass right she's like okay i'm gonna go out there she has this line where she says we can discuss sexism when i get back we can discuss sexism and survival situations when i get back as in yeah. like okay i'm a super badass character and yeah that's that's pretty cool even though it seems a little bit reckless at times i feel like she probably doesn't need to go out there the way she does well to or, be fair uh, they don't know that there's danger at the point right it's only that they like she and Maldu get out they're like oh hey the pen the pen's not working. So, what, Daniel, who is your favorite character? Because Jester and Kim have predicted a few. So, which one is actually yours? Yeah, I think Hammond is my favorite character. More like the character it's himself. Like, just this guy was going to bring dinosaurs back. That's just pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And then he seems a little bit conflicted, which I like. I, I prefer characters that are not one-dimensional. So, he's a bit conflicted about his creation. Obviously, not as much as he should be, but he is a little bit uh, conflicted. He has thought about a kill switch potentially, which they completely ignore for the rest of the movie or even the rest of the franchise apparently. But but <laughs> there, there are a couple of things that, that make him like a, oh, yeah. the more interesting character, I guess. My favorite is also John Hammond. They don't quite explain how he became John uh, Hammond in the movie, but he's just this sort of really powerful guy who gets sort of Get stuff done and then he has this moment of you know uh, i think there's an the entire interaction between him and um uh, what's her name ellie dr ellie sattler in the in the when he's eating ice cream and he's like you know the next time it'll be perfect you know like he's still thinking like oh we're going to do this again we're going to do it. and it's a, such an to use a very you know cliched term it's a very entrepreneurial mindset that he has <laughs> that you're like hey, well, it doesn't matter if we fail you know we'll pick up and do another company next that now now the next time everything's correctable yeah i'm I, that scene was very strange for me when i see it when i saw it because she comes back after being chased by a t-rex she knows that everyone is in danger and she just goes to the table and sat in, sit in front of him eating his ice cream she doesn't yell at him or anything she's just being nice mm. like hey Okay, um, so things went went didn't go that well. Oh yeah, well we'll do better next time. But like what? I, I, I didn't put it down him because he said so many times we spared no expense. And spared no expense. Oh, really spectacular. Spared no expense. <laughs> we spared no expense. Right here, totally non-polluting, top of the line. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fuck, you have money. Okay, we got it. You can shut up now. <laughs> but do you know that he spared no expense? I just, I want to make sure that you know that. 
even on the ice cream because he said it even in that scene. Well, he did not apparently because he did not get a fucking programmer to help mm-hmm. him. He just had one person, one guy, yeah. million million lines of code. <laughs> and underpays him and makes him resentful, which is also uh, bad management mm-hmm. techniques, really. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I, I would say though, I think a, a, another favorite, which I didn't expect to have, was the character of Tim, the little boy. What? And I died because of the what? And then my teacher told me about this other book by a guy named Backer. I, I don't know why. I just like that boy because he was clearly he was someone who was very, very interested in asking a lot of questions. But he didn't come across as like those annoying kids. Like he just came across as someone who was there to. He wanted. If to only we share the video and people could see Kim's face. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he could have been a lot more annoying, but he just yeah, didn't. Well, like, yes. He was, just, uh, he was just being a kid, which I quite, I quite liked. Ah. He's a very cheerful kid. It sounds more like Professor Grant is the one who's like, oh, I don't like kids just pushing ah. him away. He's the, ass- he's the asshole. He's not the kid. The kid is just being a kid. The kid is fine. Okay. So it's probably me just projecting on my dislike of kids <laughs> in general. I was like, yeah, oh, as an annoying kid. And I was like, I mean, he wasn't as annoying as I remembered, which is also interesting. But yeah, he just... Uh, he- he was like, I mean, clearly Dr. Grant is like, uh, I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's like, he responds also, and like he doesn't understand like what he, even if he's insulted, he doesn't quite understand. He's like, well, okay, great. Uh, can we just continue talking? You know, <laughs> he's like, I've heard you. Let's continue, you know, which I quite like. That like- <laughs> yeah, I know. I need more of that spirit in my life personally. Yes. So but this kid has way too many stupid lines. It's just, <laughs> he does. Nah. But it's more like I guess for me what I like in a movie when things are coherent and really make sense, the kid being electrocuted at like ten thousand volts and then he falls <laughs> to the ground and then he wakes up and he says, Free You're like, Oh come on, come on. <laughs> so that I think brings us on to our next question quite nicely, which is what has aged well and what hasn't aged well? Now, the lines that Ian Malcolm, I, the moment he starts hitting on Ellie Sadler in the helicopter, you're like, I mean, that was a moment which did not occur to me at the time because I was a kid. And I was yeah. like, okay, right. But now, the, but he did that, I was like, whoa, you can't, you can't do that now. Dr. Sadler, I, I refuse to believe that you aren't familiar with the concept of attraction. By the way, Dr. Sadler, um, she's not like available is she and he keeps doing that and you shouldn't yeah you can't and you should it's just it's yeah but this is like uh, basically a hun- uh, what is today a hundred million dollar movie and it just went like oh yeah this seems to be the accepted normal behavior which has changed clearly mm-hmm. and it's even I think it's even more concerning or not concerning but it's even more strange that they made that decision because as Jester pointed out if he wasn't if his character wasn't in the movie it wouldn't have it would have made zero difference to anything any plot anything right so like, why did they choose him to be that that's what i i, I, I suspect it's to make alan grant look better yeah perhaps in comparison because without him he just looks like a child hating like phd <laughs> type person right right whereas when he's right beside the guy he basically looks like a paragon of of partnerhood you want to have your family with 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 alan when you see uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Ian goes, I have three kids. And you're like, Alan doesn't like kids. Clearly, Alan's right here. But apparently, <laughs> I have not seen the, the next movies, but Jurassic Park 2 and 3 just starred Jeff Goldblum, basically. There are no... 
mentions of of Alan Grant. Or... Oh no, Alan uh, comes in three. I think. He comes back. Yeah, he okay. comes back. Okay. In. okay. But I, I haven't watched it either, either. So I am not. I don't know. Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, because okay, we're four here. Uh, again, our demographic is not that large, so we cannot really know. But it, it's unanimous from the four of us that Ian Malcolm's character is useless in the movie. Yeah. How, however, he was the star coming out of this. He was a meme in 1993. I think it was basically that scene where he's he, his leg is injured, but he's sitting like a like a model with his shirt off. I'm like, why yeah. is he sitting? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird. And they're just smoldering, and they're like, and this, and they ha- they they hold on to him for like a few seconds, and like, yeah, and then <laughs> then they move on. Oh, there's somebody else talking. Let's let's move the camera there. Like, what? That was weird. Like, why was that? <laughs> Yeah, the the scene starts with him, and he has nothing to do with the scene. <laughs> That's true. So I guess in terms of uh, cinematography, or at least like in well, filmmaking, he's not necessarily driving the plot, but he provides a lot of the visual. He provides a lot of the. He's a point of comparison rather than necessarily driving anything. He prov- he has great lines. He he's clearly the cinematographer. Was like, okay, unbutton that shirt. Okay, let's focus on those chest hairs for a little while. <laughs> Um, all of which do nothing, right? Because at that moment, we are thinking, hey, is Ray Arnold dead? Or, oh, is this guy going to die? Are they all going to get murdered by Velociraptors? Uh, he just, yeah, like Imran says, smolders a little bit and then says, oh, no, they didn't think you they should do it. No, 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 no. And then he comes back because no one cares about Alan, right? He's the straight man. He's like the guy who does the smart thing. And then he's like, oh, let's toss him aside. Let's use smoldering mathematician men. Oh, oh, I, I should probably I should probably say actually there is one thing that uh, Doctor Ian Malcolm do, does which does impact the movie a little bit, which is where he he chases away the T Rex with his with his flare, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then that allows uh, Alan to go and rescue the kid, and then that's what causes the T Rex to eat. Uh... Hi Hazel. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. That's what causes the T Rex to eat uh, the, the 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 lawyer dude whose name I've forgotten. So that's the, I guess the one. Gennaro, yeah. But yeah, I always think of it as toilet lawyer, man. Yes. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. I have, I have a question for that scene. You said he helps uh, with the T-Rex, but yeah. five seconds before that, Sam Neill throws, because they have established that uh, the, the T-Rex sees only like movies. Yes. Yes. Right. So he throws away the flare so that the T-Rex mm-hmm. leaves. And then the stupid fuck opens another flare yeah yeah and, <laughs> and runs away with it so sure he helped but uh he was like a pat on the back like look at me i'm helping so now that you've now that you've spelled it out <laughs> i think i think what his character actually the only contribution to the whole movie that he does is to get Gennaro killed i think because until he did that Gennaro was hiding in the toilet quite safe <laughs> There was no yes. issue. <laughs> yeah. So actually, all you're right. Laura killed. Yeah. Okay. He him uh, okay. right to him. He's like, here is your lawyer's neck. Have a go. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of lawyers, so. Whoa, whoa! That's Ooh. just. <laughs> I don't think they necessarily deserve that kind of be you know treatment. <laughs> I mean, do you see the guy? As I was watching him get picked up, and I was like, holy shit! That first fling probably just snapped him in two. Like his spine's gone. Mm. He doesn't really feel a lot after that. I mean, yeah, he's a lawyer, but does he deserve that, really? 
he was just trying to do his job. He literally was just touring the island, going like, "Ah, this could be dangerous, but that's a good yes. business model." And then he dies. He's, yes. Well, actually, yeah, he, that's the thing. He says this could be dangerous, but we'll make money. So fuck it. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. <laughs> he does not. Nobody deserves what he went through, but I'm not gonna cry for his uh, death. Daniel, what do you, what do you think has or hasn't aged well? Somehow, I think the soundtrack would not be like we would never hear Wait, this sort of soundtrack in a movie nowadays. I'm not saying the huh. soundtrack didn't age well. The soundtrack is great, but you would well, never have a movie in 2021 with this soundtrack. Man, huh. I, I give you five seconds to take that back if you want to, because Justin's <laughs> looking really angry right now. No, 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 okay, okay, sorry. Let me explain this again, right? The soundtrack is so powerful that. It really contributes to the movie in a way that you don't see soundtrack doing anymore. Soundtracks now are a lot more passive in a way, or they're more atmospheric and they're a bit less instrumental. Um, I think I get what you mean. Like it's it's quite iconic as a soundtrack, and you don't really get that very often in movies nowadays. Except perhaps yeah. I would argue maybe the only movie I can think of that's new and has an iconic soundtrack is The Avengers, right? Which has that specific. Music, which you recognize immediately as you know, Avengers, but uh, you recognize the music as immediately as Jurassic Park. I think that's probably what you're trying to say, right? Huh. Right. Yeah. So it's not that it hasn't aged well; it's just that people movies don't do that anymore. So that's yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. No, I think what hasn't aged well is just well the the sexism in the movie and uh, yeah, the special effects did age pretty well. I was really surprised by that, but they yeah. they really still work really well. Because they have no, a lot of overall actual physical mechanical models of it, right? So yeah, yeah, that that helps a lot. But even those uh, physical mechanical models look great. They don't look like those puppets that are animated by someone inside. They look really good. So they it, it really aged well in that way as well. I felt the effects, not the animatronics, but like some of the computer effects of. The dinosaurs like in the distance and them running and stuff that didn't age very well like at the time i think it looked really great but re-watching it i was like hmm maybe we've become spoiled for really high quality special effects now i'm sure that's watch what attack of the clones and come back okay <laughs> wow okay <laughs> that's clearly a very sore spot for you. <laughs> uh, i think that's one thing that hasn't aged as well as everything else Yes, I think Samuel L. Jackson's character, like, what the hell was that? What a waste of Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. I'm like, well, I mean, we don't know that at the time, right? Because up to that point, he hadn't broken yeah. out yet. I think it was like two or three scenes later, two or three years later before he got Pulp Fiction. I think at it was a year later. Was... Pulp Fiction was 94, this was 93. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, but, but in Pulp Fiction was written for him, right? And he, that's his breakout. Like, bam, now he's a A-League kind of star. At this mm-hmm. point, it's like, is he really worse off than Ian Malcolm? So, uh, yeah, Malcolm at least gets a few lines and he smolders a bit. Like he's basically on the like second or third tier of characters, who is basically like uh, kind of a very functional character. He's a functional guy compared to Dennis Nedry who runs off and dies. That's the character arc for a lot of characters in Jar- Jurassic Park. They run off and die. <laughs> Actually, the death row is five. It's literally just five, right? So uh, there's Muldoon, there's yeah. uh, Ray Arnold, Dennis Nedry. Uh, there's a guy at the start who gets uh, eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah, the nameless gate. The nameless worker. Yeah. yeah. Was there one more? The lawyer? You mentioned. Yes, it? the lawyer. Right. That's it. 
Only five men die. That's not too bad, I think, for a theme park. Yeah, yeah quite acceptable. I, I think more than that die in Disneyland every year. We mean that in jest. called Geniuses, Poets and Artists, where I interview various members of the Singapore improv community, ask them a little bit about their relationship with improv and why they keep doing stuff, uh, what their favorite improv things are, and just you know, follow the conversation where it goes. It's basically an improv podcast. Go check it out, especially if you're from uh, Singapore and you want to check out the improv scene, come and see what kind of people we have up there and see if that's something that might be up your alley. It's good. Yes. So if there was a reboot of the first movie, who would uh, who would you cast? So let's start with Alan. Who would you cast as as Dr. Alan Grant, Sam Neill's character? One of the major differences as well is that when you think about it, most of the characters are in their 40s. And nowadays, you don't see movies with people in their 40s. That's our, not this sort of movie, at least. It would be like people in their late 20s, early 30s, but... That, that is something that, that I found to be very different. So keeping that, that very... in mind. Oh, I thought you had a name. I, I do a not name. have a name. Oh, but oh. Lefteris has a name, so let's go with him. I, 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 Adam Driver for Sam Neill, Alan, uh, for Alan Grant. I think it's a good choice, but I would probably pick uh, Martin Freeman as Sam Neill, as uh, Alan Grant. He's probably a bit shorter, yeah. But I feel like he would fit that role pretty well. Would we, would we still cast Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum? Probably. Yeah. I probably. think there are two characters we'd probably have to stick with. Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum and Samuel L. Jackson as Samuel L. Jackson. I, I don't see that. Or I just, we'd tell Samuel L. Jackson, just, you just go all out. Don't worry about what's in the script. Just you do what you need to do. Just, yeah. yeah. Do improv. Will we cast uh, Richard Attenborough as David Attenborough? I think Richard Attenborough is dead. No, David. The other oh, way out. Yeah. David Attenborough. Oh, no. His voice is too iconic. Like, it's going to be very weird yeah. to hear like, talk in a movie that way. <laughs> What's wrong with dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Let's resurrect some dinosaurs. Who would be John Hammond? So Ellie Sattler, you asked. Ellie Sattler. Oh, yeah, Ellie Sattler. That's who, who the, the, female, the female lead, I guess. Who would that? Ooh, uh, the lady who played... Uh, I'm so bad with names. There was a... A movie that came out last year about the lady who was acting drunk to trap asshole men because she had great movie, yeah. Um, um oh my, uh, I think I know which movie you're talking about. Hold on, what was the name of that movie? But yeah, her basically, yeah, yes, yeah. that lady. What an informative podcast you have. <laughs> Yes, that's four heterosexual uh, men remembering things. Great. Uh, I don't know what movie you're talking about. Uh, Promising Young Woman. There we go. Ah, yes. Promising Young Woman, yeah. What's so, her name? Uh, the, la- the lady who starred in Promising Young Woman, uh, which is... Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, yes. Carrie Mulligan as Ellie Sadler. Sam Neill is English, right? I think, I think he's Australian. Oh, he's Australian. Oh, well, then forget it. I was trying to make a point. It doesn't count. He's in New Zealand, so we're both wrong. I'm just oh, less okay. wrong than you. Oh, I don't, think the, I don't think the Kiwis would look at it that way. 
<laughs> who would play? So I guess the big one is who would play uh, Richard Richard um, John Hammond? Hammond? How about Lawrence Hammond. Fishburne? Lawrence Fishburne as John Hammond. Sure, hmm. why not? Ah. you know, distinguished older man. Also, it's just interesting because, like, I mean, we if we look past the race thing, as we should, just yeah. think of him as an older Morpheus. But instead yeah. of seeing the truth, you resurrect dinosaurs. I, I would, I would see that actually. I would like to watch that actually. John uh, Lawrence Fishburne as uh, the rich, uh, distinguished-looking, you know, well-spoken. Let's go for Morgan Freeman. He's a bit ah. too old, I think. That was a, that was a fun intellectual exercise. Uh, we all know that uh, the already been done or sequels or whatever, yeah. and it's all about Chris Pratt now. So good. I'm sure the movies are great. I haven't seen them. So before we go, is this peak Spielberg? Uh, the same year he did uh, Schindler's List, no? Yes, 1993. You're right. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. Because I would argue that the biggest name, the person who got the most fame out of this movie is probably Steven Spielberg, right? I don't think anybody else did yeah. quite as well as he no, did. No, Samuel L. Jackson didn't get like amazing roles after this for being Ray Arnold. I, I actually forgot he was in the movie till I saw him on screen. I'm like, oh damn, he's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked it up before. I was like, who is he? Who's this Ray Arnold guy? And then he popped out. I was like, oh. I mean, given everything he's done since, I think this was probably one of his best uh, major, major things that really sure. cemented his reputation for years to come, right? I mean, other things that he's done more recently, I mean, they're, they're good, but it's like Ready Player One, is that really, would you compare this to Jurassic Park or yeah. Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? I mean, that's not nowhere near this, right? And then you have other things like, I thought Minority Report was fun, but it wasn't massive and epic in the way this was. It was good, right? But it's not the same. I think if you had to argue anything, I think the 90s were where he made his greatest works. And after that, it's just been a bit... Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't say phoning in is a bit harsh, but not world-class the way he was world-class in the 90s. I would argue that this Jurassic Park's probably the last great film that he's made. Not that he hasn't made good films since then, but I think this is probably the last great film that he's made because I think it really sort of was it's so it's such an important film when you think about visual effects I remember as a kid I was obsessed with dinosaurs at the same time and a lot of it had to do with this movie right I don't think any other movie of his has had that kind of impact on like popular culture or, or low culture well, uh, okay. low culture ah. I would say this is probably peak Spielberg for me it's holy probably, shit he made Jaws like 18 years before that yeah, yeah. 18 years I wasn't even born at the time I mean, oh, just looking at the list of stuff, like Saving Private Ryan is also quite, I would say it's one of the classics right now. I just, oh yeah. my God. Oh my God. That's how old we are. Definitely but, uh, most of it, most of what's be- before 2000. You have two reminders. Last Thursday at 10-11. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear the reminders. Come but on. He, yeah. he, did, he did do, okay. I, I, he did later direct like Catch Me If You Can and the the Terminal, right? On. Who were, great movies. I'm sorry, could you repeat that because a lady interrupted you? There's a lady in this podcast? Finally. Uh, he did do Catch Me If You Can on the Terminal in the early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. So these are also great movies. Again, not super iconic, obviously, uh, but they're great movies. They're also great. I think they were good. Yeah, they were, they were fun, I think, they're for what they were. Yeah. Yeah. They're not on par. Yeah. It, it was... They had much less... With a, with a film like Jurassic Park, you have a lot of room to expand right mm-hmm. with films like the terminal or 
or catch me if you can. They are films based in the world we all live in. So it, you can't really like expand like sound effects or uh, visual effects or things like that. So well, I mean, if you want to, if you want to give Hollywood a challenge, I'm sure they'll they'll find a way. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. I, I guess first list two. Yeah. Oh, what? That's the <laughs> challenge. I actually haven't seen anything since. Oh no! I saw the post. I saw the and I saw Ready Player One. Yeah, it's just I, I guess they were very competent movies. It's just um, like nothing he made past. Uh, I thought Minority Report was a very interesting premise, but also mm-hmm. a little bit of a sci-fi. I would say it's like top tier generic sci-fi that doesn't go. It's not going to leave a lasting impact, you know. Uh, but yeah, Jurassic Park. Saving Private Ryan, I would say it was probably the last thing he made that went boom. Like AI, for example, was ambitious, but it never made that kind of impact. Yeah, so we, we need to ask this question and we need to know, well, I really want to know from each and every one of you, the Jurassic Park question. If you could recreate the dinosaurs, would you? I mean, I probably wouldn't. It, it looked like they required a ridiculous amount of time and energy and money to do that. And honestly, if you could spend the kind of time, energy, and money on improving the world we live in now, rather than resurrecting something that has long been dead, uh, why why would you why wouldn't you do that? Fair fair take, okay. If there is, as the scientist, I, I'm torn, but I'm also leaning towards to no, because even if you mainly what Kim just said all this money that you need to you spare no expense, spare no expense in actually doing something that will help society in other ways. Uh, but at the same time, you don't actually need live dinosaurs to actually study them. Because if you start with dinosaurs, why stop there? Go ahead and, and resurrect even humans that lived like two, 3,000 years ago and see how the ancient Greeks behaved, see how the ancient Romans behaved, see how the Mongolians behaved. But that's an extra step in sci-fi, right? Because if you want to recreate the ancient Greek, then it's not only just their their DNA, it's also nature, it's also nurture, right? It's also the way they were brought up. So you want to see how they how they interact as a society, etc. Uh, dinosaur is pretty much going to be this act in the same way in the 21st century or you don't 21st know that. millennial. You, you yeah, don't know that. fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, fair and enough. that would be that would be maybe a valid question, maybe because I, again, I, I'm the quote-unquote scientist, but at the same time, I'm I'm an I'm an engineer. I'm a material scientist. I'm not a, a biologist or a paleontologist, right? But I don't know what sort of question they need to have answered scientifically, which they can't answer by looking at fossils by seeing the layers of the earth and how they change, they progress. Learning more about the society of dinosaurs that lived millions of years ago is not a valid question, at least in my head. So that's that's interesting, right? Because in the movie, they do it to open a theme park. I don't know if there's any sort of greater purpose that they're trying to fulfill by bringing back the dinosaurs, right? It's purely for entertainment purposes almost, right? So I would say, I think... I agree. I feel like morally, it's objectionable to do something like that. <laughs> but if you take the morality out of it, which is difficult to do, I agree. I probably would. I would do it. Like if I had the opportunity and the means to, and the, the time, I guess. But it's very difficult to justify that 
uh, from a moral standpoint because I don't I don't I agree I don't think it's morally the right thing to do. Yeah. Not to I mention that you. if you if you had the the technological ability to form and change DNA so quote unquote easily, mm. there are so many other applications which you could use that technology to <laughs> to help people rather mm. than just make a theme park. But it doesn't mean that you can't do those other sure. things, right? So I feel for me, let's let's put away maybe the ethical impl implications of it, which definitely are questionable to a certain extent, also because of the potential suffering and life of those creatures that you bring back, right? That needs to be considered. Beyond that, yeah, I would totally do it. I think just just being able to see those animals for real. And and what we could learn from a from a scientific point of view, I think you can still learn more just by having them alive than than you would by having them dead. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna divide us into two mm. groups. And um, since I'm on the side Maybe. of Imran, whose podcast it is, I think I win. And it does remind me of uh, something that is true now that wasn't true of me when I uh, watched the movie. First, right, uh, I was like eight. Uh, I went on a safari recently, uh, well, a year and a half ago. And that basically is what this is. It's a, it's a safari, right? Um, even like you drive around, you see animals, you're like, oh, animals. Uh, in their natural habitat, doing natural animal things, like eating each other or whatnot. And you're like, nature is not moral. Nature is nature. And like the T-Rex comes after you, the raptors can try and eat a, a small child. That's not them being evil. These are just the uh, result of man trying to play God uh, and not being very smart about it, which is really just an aside, I think. Uh, because I guess if I could choose to create a theme park for entertainment purposes, I'll probably create a space one. I like the idea of space better than dead lizards, you know? To, to also ground this even more, you underestimate the technological advance, advancements you have because scientists are trying to find out through fossils and through the means that they're trying to find out. They're great technolo technological advancements because they're trying to find out information now without the live dinosaurs. You might be able to have information for dinosaurs easier if you have them alive, but that would give and take, like would regress the technological advancement of other, of other things. Because I think uh, Ian Malcolm's uh, character says this, right? That they had their chance and then nature decided no. Dinosaurs uh, uh, had their shot and nature selected them for extinction. Yes. Which is a fair point, right? They, it's, not like, it's not like human beings killed them off. We weren't even there then. So uh, it was nature's decision. And how far do you want to go to you know, change that is questionable, yeah. Is a meteorite and, uh, and a volcanic explosion a nature's decision? I mean, yeah. I guess not, not, I wouldn't say decision, but I think it's, it's nature's act, I guess, right? You could say that about how, well, I don't want to talk about the pandemic, but. No, uh, climate change. Climate change is, climate change, yeah. what yeah. people don't get about climate change is, is that the planet will be fine. The people on the planet is fucked. So yeah. it's, it is a natural progression of things. But still, I think if I had the opportunity <laughs> and didn't have any repercussions and didn't come back to me in any way. Uh, <laughs> sure. I think that's that's it for episode one. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you. So I should have introduced you up at the top of the show. I realize. Uh, I'll, well, I'll do that. Still now. listening? Then now they want to know who we are. Yeah. yeah. So we have. <laughs> who so are these four they... mysterious presences? I'll men, men, heterosexual men in their in their thirties. That's that's all they need to know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast, Heterosexual Male <laughs> in Their 30s. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you so much, Jester. Thank you so much, Kim. This, is, this has been episode one of Low Culture. Join us next week or next time rather. I don't want to say next week, but next time. Uh, where we'll <laughs> be... You told us to go and watch The Lion King. I've really watched The Lion King. You can't not do it next week. I'm not... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm saying from a release... We'll meet next week. Yes, yes, we're meeting next week, but from a release schedule, we'll see. Maybe, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, next next time, we're discussing The Lion King, which arguably is one of my favorite movies of all time, just generally. Till then, thank you and uh, good night. And that's a wrap on episode one. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or anything else that Monocene Studios does, please visit monocenestudios.com. Join us next time for episode 2 when we'll be discussing The Lion King. Monocene Studios.